Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is the mind behind the Instagram page, Erdnays 1902, where you might have seen some incredible historical forgeries of first edition Expert at the Card Table. We talk about forgery, Vernon's copy of Erdnays, and a lot more. Nick Lacapo stops by the show to discuss the featured product of the week from Justin Flom and Rick Lax. Before all of that, we start off with one of our quickfire segments where your favorite magicians talk about their favorite tricks, and I put them on a timer to see if we can beat the five-minute clock. This week, John Michael Hinton joins me in the top five under five. John Michael Hinton, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for the top five under five. In These can be in no particular order, but in under five minutes, give me your top tricks. Let's start out with number five. Oh, my fifth uh, is probably, um, and if you know me, you know I love Rubik's Cube tricks, so three of the five of these are Rubik's Cube tricks. <laughs> I suspect um, as much. Uh, the, the Clock Solve by Carl Heinz, uh, which... Honestly, I don't know if he's ever fully published, but he taught it to me at a convention, and he's one of those that he only teaches to a few people at conventions yeah. to listen to. He's, Carl's stuff is really good. I've seen him lecture a number of times. I've been on uh, a session with him at a convention. He's actually been on this podcast. I, I think he if he doesn't teach it, he teaches some really cool Cube stuff on the Cube Effects DVD that he does with John George. Oh, and that, I mean, that's hours and hours. Yeah. Uh, like, in his mind, you when you watch that, you go, okay, there is so much. And then you see him at a convention, and he's like, oh, but let me show you these 20 other things that you can do. You're like, how do you, I want his mind. For our listeners, the clock solve, when, when John performs it, and when Carl performs it, really, uh, essentially the cube is mixed, and then you move your hand backwards in a clock formation, and when it gets back to the 12 position, it's solved. Am I correct in, in describing yes, that correctly? Yes, not a digital clock, like an actual clock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, clock solved by Carl Heinz, a great way to kick off this list. Let's move on to number four. Number four is um, Poker Test 2.0 by my good buddy Eric Casey. Oh, Poker um, Test 2.0 is great. Tell our, tell our act- listeners what it's like. What it does. Yeah, it's in my lecture uh, because because it's it's just so good. Um, what it is is you have four. It comes with five cards. I do it with four, but four cards, red backed cards. You spread them out so fairly, like so. And it this it works itself because of how brilliant he is. Um, and you spread them out. It's four cards, and then you show the other side, and they're all blank. And then you take one card up, um, and it changes into a blue card, uh, the blue back. You put it back um, with the rest of the, the cards. You do a magical moment. All the cards turn to blue, and then you turn them around, and it's a royal flush. Um, it's and I do, it, I do it with jokers to uh, aces, but, I mean, it's just so easy. Um, and it's But yet, it, so you can focus on all of the uh, presentation, it's this, and like, I love it triple change self-working packet trick that all you got to do is spread a packet. It's so good. I love I love Poker Test 2.0. Eric Casey is a good friend of mine too and he's an awesome dude. But let's move on to number three. Number three is um, RD Insta by Henry Harris. Oh, it, yes. It's so, and he, Honestly, I could put the entire, every my top ten tricks is something that Henry put out. I, I love his thinking. Um, all the time he sends me new things. Hey, check this out! Yeah. And I'm like, Dude, I hate you because I can't be as creative as you. Uh, he's so good. If you've never seen it, RD Insta is a way of instantly solving a mixed Rubik's Cube. Yes. And it's yeah. it's crazy easy, too. Yeah, and it looks like video magic. It really does. All right, RD Insta, fantastic. Let's move on to number two. 
Number two is um, my, uh, I do a full story deck trick called, <laughs> affectionately called Story Wreck. You can't buy it anywhere. Uh, I, I was actually, um, I was in a, uh, what's it called, consulting session with Brent Braun, who if you need consulting, mm-hmm. Brent Braun is your man. Like oh, yeah. he's just, he just gets it. Like one of the things I love that he says over and over is, John, we can do anything. Yeah. Um, we're wizards. We, we, he starts with, man, let's find something amazing. And so I said, Hey, I want a full story deck trick. And he said, John, do you know how hard, hard those are to write? Yeah. And I was like, yes, but I, we could try. He's like, I'm only giving us 20 minutes and, uh, and we're, this isn't going to happen. So I'm going to title it in the notes story wreck. Um, <laughs> but it's a full story deck trick about how I met my wife and way too many, um, classic retro eighties and nineties references. And, Honestly, it's in my castle show, and at the end, I have everybody singing eight six seven five three zero nine, walking out the door, uh, and it's super fun. I get it, man. The story decks. I mean, like a lot of people do. Sam, even non magicians know Sam the bellhop, and uh, having your mm-hmm. own custom story deck trick is, is really great. And you're right, Brent is a wonderful consultant. I used him for Fool Us. I used him for the IBM. He's he's wonderful. But that brings us to number one. Uh, my baby, man, stickerless. Uh, Ooh, it, that's yours, it, isn't it? I created it, yeah. Um, That's, you or, did that on Fool Us, didn't you? Yes, uh, I did it on Fool Us. Um, and, and if you're not familiar with it, it's it, it it's, talks about the most classic thing with Rubik's Cubes. How do you solve a Rubik's Cube? That you take the stickers off. So I have a shot glass full of stickers. I have a blank Rubik's Cube. You put them both in the bag. You shake it up, and you pour out a solved Rubik's Cube. Um, and what's crazy about this trick is... So my wife thought I was stupid, but when it, when we created it, I just released it for free because, um, I didn't care about making money. Like I don't, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I want to support my family, but I do that through my, I'm a worker. Like I do that by shows. And so I wasn't, I, I, I don't ever consider myself a magician's magician or anything like that. And so I just gave it for free for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, with the one caveat is, Hey, do this in your live shows. But I've had so many honestly top guys say hey can i put this on tv and i said no um, now i sell it for way too much like when people ask me um when people ask me hey can i buy that from you it's uh, you know what i'll sell you the rights for and i it's it's a gross amount that no one's taking me up on and it's not because i'm like ooh, i want this only to be me on tv it's because i want it to be in live shows only yeah because it's- as soon as we put something on tv a few times if somebody sees it, they go, oh, I saw that guy on AGT do that. Oh, I saw that guy. And, and even though my fullest video has 400, uh, f- sorry, 4 million some views, unless somebody's a true magic fan, they haven't seen me do it on Fullest. Yeah. So it makes it so that we can actually do it for live people and create miracles. Because I think for me, that's all about live shows. Stickerless is a, is a really great trick. It's really beautiful. You should be proud of it. And uh, John, thank, those are five great tricks. Thanks so much for sharing this with us in the top five. Under five. Thanks to John Michael Hinton for joining me on the show. As always, our quickfire segments are brought to you by Shazam, the podcast that hopes to make itself obsolete. Be sure to check out their January 31st episode to hear Corey Couture, a professional audio describer, discuss how to make your show more inclusive for the visually impaired. Go check it out. Kayla is doing some pretty cool stuff. Now, on to the main event. In the early part of 2018, I found myself in a hotel lobby in Florida holding what looked for all the world to me like my own signature. The thing was... 
I had not put pen to paper. That was when I met magician and historical forger Chris Dixon. What followed was an amazing discussion of his work in historical forgery. He makes some of the most incredibly accurate reproduction first edition replicas in the world. Chris creates this amazing works of art that look exactly like the originals from magicians as well as museum galleries and many more. It's a fascinating subject that I know you're going to love and now you get to join our conversation. Chris Dixon, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm, I'm really excited because this is one of those conversations I should have had with you about three years ago when we met at the Genie Convention. Uh, when you, right. you were showing me some beautiful, uh, how would we describe the copies of Erdnays that you were involved with? So, oh, at that time we were doing the 1905 Drake versions. Um, so, you know, there was a, there was a huge movement um, back in 2002 where a group of some brilliant artists decided they wanted to recreate a centennial copy of Expert at the Card Table. Uh, they got it down to the same tooth paper that they used, the same cloth binding, the same embossed seal. Every dimension was perfect as true to the original. Um, and they released maybe 750 copies of those. Wanting an original myself, you know, that was the closest thing that I could get to. But it wasn't exact. It didn't look like it was 115 years old at the time. So I wanted to, you know, age it and make it distressed and smell and feel like a real true first edition. So this is, it's not a forgery, but it is a replica. And it is very difficult to tell the difference between like a real first edition and what you produce, correct? Sure, absolutely. And it's a historical replica. It originally started as a pet project where, you know, Di Vernon being the guy that brought it into the spotlight of the magic community, um, I wanted to be a tribute to him. So I, I took his book or Percy Diaconis's book, Revelations, and went side by side with Di's notes. I learned Di's handwriting, and I would write in the margins of the 2002 <laughs> edition as if it was him making little notes throughout his life, you know? Um, and then age the pages. That actually sits at uh, Dan and Dave's little speakeasy warehouse in Santa Monica. Um, I gave that to them as a gift, and you can open it up and see Dai's handwriting and you know his little notes and characters. So you you recreated Vernon's original copy of Erdnitz. Yes. Yep, and I, I would put it in a, a White Owl cigar box, which was one of his favorite cigars. Um, put a, a copy of his glasses, like a little frame of his glasses, made his. Society of American Magicians business card and and uh, his old business card from, you know, when he was cutting portraits out on the pier, tried to make it look like it was something that would sit on his nightstand, you know, before he went to bed. I, I think it's really important for our readers to understand, A, so these are art projects. These are not getting passed off as the real thing. Um, Correct. And, Correct. And uh, I have held one of these in my hands, some of your work, and it's, they're beautiful. They're, they're, they're perfect. Thanks, yeah. There, it's incredible. Uh, can you let's get back to some of the the Erdnay stuff in a little bit? But I mean, what we're talking about is legal forgery here or commissioned artwork. Right. How, Absolutely. How did you get involved in this? Because this is, I mean, this is something you'd see on like the television show White Collar or something like that. This it's is crazy white stuff. Collar. Yeah, it really is. And I got turned on to that recently because of something else that I did. They said, oh, this is very white collar, you know, because I'm using old paper like they do in the first episode, things like that. But I was doing an art installation where I took famous books from, you know, contemporary history and, you know, they had meaning in cultural revolutions like uh, Catcher in the Rye being used in Mark David Chapman's pocket when he assassinated John Lennon. I took a copy of Catcher in the Rye. I learned Mark David Chapman's handwriting and I would write Beatles lyrics 
on the pages as if that's what he was doing, waiting that six hours for John Lennon to arrive at the Dakota. And that was part of the piece. And then I took Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and I scored every single page in little tiny squares as if they were little tabs of acid and stamped little smiley faces on them. Just so that you could look at the book and say, oh, that's what this book kind of is about. It's about this cultural port of this you know, revolution of this time and period. And I was showing it at a literary museum in Philadelphia and, show, you know, they were kind of impressed with the handwriting samples I was doing, being able to mimic somebody else's handwriting fully conversationally. Um, and he showed me a document and it was really tattered and torn. He said, yeah, I have this. We're going to be displaying it here, but it's in such bad condition. I don't want to display it, but I really want people to see it. I said, well, you know, I could just make that for you down to the exact same paper, the same pen, the same ink, same stains and tears. So it could be indistinguishable. And so I did it. And it started getting displayed as the true original. Um, he knew that it was a replica. I knew it was a replica, but the viewing audience took it as real. You'd be surprised how many things in museums are actually replicas, especially in touring exhibits mm -hmm. uh, when they have to move them around a lot. Yeah, um, I would so we displayed it and it opened up the whole conversation. I would imagine that like museum, like especially touring exhibits, the materials that they're working with and the, and the exhibits that they're displaying are in some cases so fragile that taking the original around would, would risk losing a piece of history forever. Especially modern paper. Modern paper is made with like a pulp. So that's why we see pages get yellowed and they crack and they get brittle. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go to Kalusha's library or something, you see things from like the 1500s. That's all white linen paper or sheepskin. It doesn't age. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. But anything, you know, modern, yeah, it's very fragile. So they want to keep that tucked away in a, you know, temperature controlled environment and for insurance reasons, things like that. So I've been commissioned to just make certain things, uh, religious artifacts or writings or things for colleges or private collectors that they display as real. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they know that uh, that it's a replica or it's a forgery. But they're they're always in possession of the original. So it's, it's... they're always in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to pass it off for any fraudulent thing. We're not getting it verified at Christie's and trying to get, you know, Potter and Potter to buy one of these books and sell it for 20 grand, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, it's like an, it's an ethical way to display something safely is what it seems like. Right. Absolutely. And now I, I recognize that the question I'm about to ask you may be like asking a magician, like if the, a particular move that they used in uh, a, a card routine that they haven't revealed yet, but how do you get so specific? You mentioned that you get like down to the correct type of pen and ink. How do you get that specific, especially with like a historical document like uh, like, like Vernon's Erdnays, where we may not have known the pen that he used? It's, it's, it's actually easy if you look at it in the time frame of history. You know, same thing with papers. You know, if I want to make a document that uh, is 100 years old, I can either use new paper and age it so that it smells, feels, and, you know, handles as if it's old, or I can go out and get hundred year old paper. And, you know, there's breaks in, in time where, oh, this paper was used for 15 years, 20 years. So it's easy to identify, okay, this is pretty common. Same thing with pens and writing utensils. Um, it gets a little difficult. I just did a Nikola Tesla piece recently that was from 1893. That was very quill based. So I had to use like an iron ink. I just had to look around and find out what happened in that time frame, what was being sold at the stationery stores and if they don't have it available any longer, like if it's something that's very, very old, then I have to find a way to replicate the ink as well mm -hmm. um, so that it'll stand scrutiny. Um, but really, it's just trying to put yourself in that. It's like making a period piece movie, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, this is what they drove. This is what they wore. This is the kind of pen they probably used. So I used old military skill craft pens because they were made in abundance mm -hmm. back in the 40s. Um, 
and, you know, figured this kind of ballpoint pencil is another good way. You really, you know, a lot of people use pencils and you can't really pin it down as to when that pencil existed. So it's easier to get away with using pencil type stuff. Well, and I guess in this situation, like we're not, we're also, because it gets back to that, not very, we're not verifying it. You're not having to like worry about people like radiocarbon dating anything that you're doing. So it's, it, you, you've got a, a much wider latitude than say somebody pulling a, a Van Gogh scam or something like that. Sure. Absolutely. But we have developed a way to, you know, uh, fool a carbon date test, which I've done for fun, just to see how <laughs> accurate I can get something. Yeah. You take hundred year old paper, you burn it, turn it into a potash and mix it into the paper. So if they do a scrape, you know, 1902 or 1900s come up as a date that shows it. Um, it's pretty fun just to see how far you can go again, all under the guise of just getting better at the craft, mm-hmm. you know, just like magic, right? Like I can palm coins. Doesn't mean I'm going to go steal coins at a, at a collector's shop or something, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, let me ask you about the, the handwriting replication, especially like I think the Vernon handwriting uh, uh, replication is really interesting. And I am, I imagine this has helped you as a magician. You probably have some interesting effects with that. But how do you go about learning someone's hand? Because, you know, I think I even still have this. You did my autograph. Sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Tornado from Justin Flom and Rick Lax. Nick Lacapo stopped by the studio to discuss this amazing trick that fits right in your wallet. Nick, there's a, a trick that we've we've actually done uh, an inside the box from our YouTube series about this, but it's pretty cool. It's uh, it's called Tornado, and it's by Justin Flom and Rick Lax. I love this trick. It's a trick that you can carry in your wallet with you at all times. And um, well, I'll tell you what it is. You you bring out two cards from your wallet. It's a one of them is going to be a seven. One of them is going to be a four. And you show them, and you show the you show the face in the back of them, and you put one down, you, you tear the other one up into little pieces, right? And you take the corner of it, let's just say it's the four. Um, you take the corner of it and you ha- you place it in your spectator's hand. You say, hold up your hand, I'm going to give you this one particular corner um, because it has the pip on it, right? So you know that it's the four. And then you place it in their hand and then you take the rest of the pieces that you just tore up and you kind of like lay it on the back of their hand. So the, inside their fist, they're holding the four and on top of their hand, they just like have all the rest of the pieces. Then you pick up the seven, and you do the same thing. You tear it up, and you um, but you tear that one corner out, like of the seven, right? That so it has the pip on it. You hold it, and then you just close your fist around it, and then open your fist, and it changes into the four. It's wild, right? And then you have the spectator open their hand, and now they have the seven in their hand. So it's a transposition of torn corners in the spectator's hand that is super, super clean. Um, and there's a lot of things that I love about this effect. I love the fact that you can carry this single gimmicked card in your wallet and do the trick just off the rip, mm-hmm. which no pun intended there, but it's, it's, it's real. that's a really powerful thing to be able to do. And there's a reason that it's like, so um, you hold, you just keep these two cards in your wallet. You're going to tear them up. So you're going to, you're going to, wreck it every time but like my suggestion is get this put it in your wallet and forget about it because when the the time that you remember that you have it you're just going to be so excited to do it so number one for that reason two it plays up it doesn't play down it plays in front of your face and it also plays kind of big with all these torn pieces because you can like throw them in the air you'll see in the presentation that like it's kind of fun to like make a mess with this trick yeah um but it plays up which i can't 
understated enough. Like it actually can be something like Flom did this on television, right? Because it can play that big, right? It's not a card trick that you're keeping in your hands. It plays strong up in, in front of everybody's face. And three, it's just a strong trick. It's a transposition of torn pieces, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot going on with this trick, and you know you you get a, a number of refills whenever you buy the trick originally, and there's refill packs that are also available, so you can do the trick over and over and over again, and always be set to go. It's from Rick Lax and Justin Flom, and I'm sure you're familiar with their work. It's always good stuff, and I would argue this is possibly one of I'd say top three. Rick Lax Tricks. Tornado by Justin Flom and Rick Lax. Check it out. That was Tornado from Justin Flom and Rick Lax. As always, the wonderful listeners to the show receive a special discount when the featured part of the week when they enter the special discount code at checkout. This week, that code is TWISTER. Just like the movie with Helen Hunt, that's TWISTER, T-W-I-S-T-E-R, for 25% off Tornado by Justin Flom and Rick Lax. That code is only good for Tornado and only good until the next episode of this show airs. Now, back to my conversation with Chris Dixon. Uh, you know, I think I even still have this. You did my autograph at Genie and you you yeah. were like the reason that I stopped owning a checkbook because <laughs> it was so right. identical but how do you go about doing a handwriting because my understanding is that replicating someone's handwriting in like long form sentences is particularly difficult it is because everybody has their nuance and they get used to doing it and it becomes second nature to us um, but just like say I hurt my right hand and I have to learn how to write with my left hand it's going to become a you know, a connection between that hand and the brain. And it's just training. So the same thing, if I have handwriting samples or samples of letters that I can string together, it's just through repetition that I can get it down. Um, Loki Cross mentions in his, in his awesome trick, Facts, uh, the blind contour method. And that's, Facts is where you, you know, replicate a signature on the fly right yeah. there in front of them. Um, using blind contour, you're, you're looking at what you want to copy with your eyes and your hand is doing what your eyes are doing. So your eyes follow the contours and scapes of that signature while your hand is doing it at the same time. So you build this connection between hand and eye. Um, that's the best way to start practicing and then just be, you know, becoming fluid with it. And eventually you, you know, or at least eventually I could pick up on, on how to do it naturally so much so that I can write things that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I'm not just copying words that, you know, were in his book already. I know how he would have written this word, but it grows too. Um, you know, what he, what his handwriting or somebody's handwriting looks like at 30, it's going to look different. If you look at Divernus signature now, you know, the, you can see it's an older one because it's kind of scribbly and it's a little different. He does the I different or the D from when he was doing it back in the fifties, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it changes. So you got to change with it as well. I'm surprised that you can examine Vernon's signature now because I mean, he's been dead for 18 years. So <laughs> I'm sorry. That was right. yeah. a weird, weird joke there, but uh, uh, no. But I know what you mean with like with going from from older to, to newer. I mean, I recently came across uh, some notebooks that I had in high school, and my handwriting is just like dramatically different. Sure. Uh, let's. I want to get back to the the Erdne stuff because so it started with this one project where it sounds like you did this for fun, and then you've sort of branched out and done other editions. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was something again that I wanted to, to own could never cough up the 20K to get a first edition. Um, So I I picked up a few 2002s 
And then I bought a, a lot of the 2015 Chuck Romano copies, which are smaller. They're not exactly uh, the same dimensions as a first edition, but they were, you know, affordable and easy to get at the time. Again, they're out of stock now. Um, and I decided I wanted to take the skill set that I was doing from the museums and the colleges, see if I could do it with this. The Vernon thing, you know, just clicked right away. Mm-hmm. Started making it for a few people and sending them out and, uh, you know, sending them as gifts. Um, and then I reached out to somebody that I knew had, you know, a few first editions in their collection and said, hey, can you send me some high-res scans? I'd love some pictures so I can cross-reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, yeah, sure, just I'll, I'll send you some stuff. So he sends me a box and I look at the custom slip on it and it's insured for like 19 grand. And he <laughs> sent me a, a first edition. He goes, here, this is going to be yours. This is your your nomadic first edition Erdnays, you know, use it, study it and cross-reference it. And it's been invaluable being able to look at an actual first edition in my hands and then one of mine and just mirror the stains and the smell and, you know, everything. Um, Then we, uh, you know, a friend of mine in LA started making the 1905s. So that's been a new project that's been ongoing. Um, And then I contacted Romano and said, hey, you know what, I want to reprint the 2015 that you did. So I went and acquired all of the files and printer uh, contacts and things like that. So I can also create them if I wanted as well, because they are kind of finite, you know, 2002s and the 2015s, unless you have one, you can't really get it unless it's secondhand. So are there, are there other books other than Erdene's in the, in the magic lexicon that you've been working on? Yeah. So uh, one of them is uh, the notes on steam engines pumps, boilers, hydraulics, and other machinery. This is a book, uh, it's a little smaller. Um, do you know the significance of this book I, in the magic world? I don't. What is this book? So this is the book that Malini used to put his Erdnays inside so he could read it in public and have no idea. <laughs> people would have no idea. Yeah, Copperfield has the original one in his museum, and it's a beautiful old book. It's kind of hard to get a hold of, but... I'm going to re- be reprinting the cover so that I can put the old like pounder edition of Erdnays into it and make a Malini copy as well. That's amazing. So first I did not, I'd never heard that story about Malini hiding it, hiding Erdnays in a, in that book, but that's, have you ever looked at doing like a discovery of witchcraft or, a, or like just going to say as well. Yep. Discovery of witchcraft is another one. Uh, when I was at Calusha's library, I looked at some original things. Right. And then, you know, I have the 1930, uh, reprint, um, and trying to get that, I want to make just the, the, the pages, the, you know, the actual proof pages. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that would be cool little additions for people to have just one page of, of the template with a lithograph lithograph on it and things like that. And again, age it. The only thing is it was so old going back to that paper that I mentioned, yeah. it's not like regular pulp paper that you and I can go get access to. Yeah. It's pretty specific. So you got to go through Italy and get all this kind of, you know, linen papers and stamp kits and stuff, but most definitely. At, at the, at the risk of flooding you with, with uh, inquiries from my listeners, is your stuff available for purchase anywhere? It is. Yeah. So on Instagram, right. Erdnays 1902, people hit me up. There's private commissions where they're like, I would love to have a letter from Oppenheimer to Einstein talking about the nuclear project, mm-hmm. or I would love to get an Erdnays or I would love to get, you know, whatever. Sometimes they've had me write love letters to their significant other as a famous poet and in his, <laughs> you know, in his penmanship or something like that. Um, yeah. It's kind of like a historical male type thing. That's amazing. Uh, well, well, Chris, uh, uh, thanks for sharing your Instagram. It's Erdnays1902. Uh, I'll be sure to put a link down in the description below. Uh, where else can people see your work? Because this is stuff that the rest of the magic community needs to be exposed to. 
Thanks. Yeah. So right now that's the primary one. Um, I, I, you know, I just did an episode on YouTube of Modern Rogue of how to do forgeries. And we talk about how to actually do it. And in that we, we explore, you know, different techniques that we talked about and it kind of, you know, builds the interest of, wow, what, what all is available? What all can we do? And uh, it kind of leaves the audience with, you know, that, that wonder of anything's possible. Let's make something. Um, but right now, like I said, direct contact through IG is the best. Um, you know, I, I do have like a, a professional one that's for the colleges and academia and things like that. So if there's any, you know, art houses or colleges out there that, you know, they know how to contact me, but the magicians most definitely through the social media. Well, Chris Dixon, thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. This has been one of the coolest conversations I've had on this show in a while. I'm so excited about it. And I keep me up to date on the other stuff that you're doing, because I think we need to have you back to, to find out about some of the other magic books that you are you know, faithfully recreating for, for the community. Most definitely. And, and shoot me your address. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely send something out your way so you can have a display at your house. I think it'd be awesome. Oh, thanks so much. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to Chris for being on the show, and thanks to you for listening. Next week on the show, I talk to the very first mind reader to appear on America's Got Talent and one of the funniest mentalists I've ever had the pleasure of talking to. Eric Diddleman is my guest. You won't want to miss it. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform that you are sharing pictures of your local blizzard on if you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show you're gonna have to join me on my quest to catch them all look the new pokemon game just dropped and if you think i'm gonna be getting anything useful done after that game comes out you are crazy but if a japanese video game franchise that keeps recapturing the nostalgia of my youth doesn't peak a your chew you can always hit me up on instagram at eric tate that's at e-r-i-k-t-a-i-t from me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform.